we looked at the first week on time, and we were just reminded that it's, it is the, uh, the passing uh, wonder that it is. The sands of time are going, going, and almost gone. A reminder that it is going, and to uh, count every moment as precious and as a gift from the Lord. They're going by fast, aren't they? And then second, we saw Jesus. He, uh, he, it's all about Him. Don't be confused. We as a church are about the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not about social issues primarily. We're not about any, uh, any of these other things. The fellowship is great and all that, but in the very heart and core of it, it's all about the risen Lord Jesus Christ, the preaching and the teaching of him from cover to cover. And I reminded you, and some of you may comment on it when I said he doesn't just show up in the Gospels. He's from cover to cover all the way through your Bible and mine. And so we saw it's all about him. Last week we saw the Gospel that uh, it's the enduring treasure. Everything else we have will, will be stripped from us uh, in the ages of eternity, at death, or when the Lord comes. You won't be hanging on to uh, your, your watch, won't need it anymore. Wouldn't that be great? You won't be holding on to your gold, your treasure. Where's my bank book? Won't need that. It's the gospel. And we saw how that's the enduring treasure that is ours in these earthen vessels, Paul says. Earthen vessels, the treasure of the gospel. Well, this morning, I wanted to uh, zero in on prayer. It just seems to be a timely topic. It's one that the Lord through the years has taught me much. I think I might be in fourth or fifth grade. I'm going to graduate someday, maybe. Well, we'll all graduate when we get to heaven. Uh, but uh, I feel like the Lord has been teaching me. I've had some uh, professors who were some great instructors in my life, and I spent time in prayer with them, and they taught me much when I was a younger divinity student. Then I had a pastor uh, in, when I worked business, when Faith and I were first married in Buffalo for a couple of years. He was a man who believed in prayer and uh, taught me much. You know, prayer is mostly caught. It's not so much taught, sort of like the gospel that way. You know, it's more caught than taught. There are some things we need to learn about it, some practical things. But I would say if you've been sitting in church for uh, yeah, that long, you know a whole lot about prayer. Your, 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 your knowledge of prayer is usually out here. The practice of it is back there. So it's timely for us to zero in on it. Now, uh, when I think about prayer, I, I think about uh, the year 2012 and just ask, uh, asking the Lord to make uh, prayer a key emphasis here at Grace, that we might, as never before as a church, learn how to storm the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer, and to seek Him, in believing prayer, and to have prayer the size of a mustard seed. It's the smallest garden variety of seed. And that we might ask the Lord, move that mountain into the sea. And the Lord says, that mountain will move. They, they're a people that really trust me and believe in me. I mean, when it comes down to it, really, the Lord, and asking and trusting, that's all we really have, right? That's it. And so how, how does the Lord promise to bless that? As we storm the throne, as a church, how do we do that? Well, we're not gathered very often, are we? We've got a few small groups, the ladies, the men. Uh, we have some other groups that may gather here and there, but it's Sunday morning for worship. So then most of the time, it's uh, as we scatter, we occasionally will have home groups and prayer study groups. We want to have that this year, maybe have a couple places during the week, uh, invite folks to come and to simply pray. 
want to do that and, and no, no other preparation at all. Just pray and ask God's blessing upon our church, upon the witness of the gospel in our community and in our lives and in our families. That we might really, really see prayer become front and center, part and parcel. Uh, at, we, we like to see early Sunday morning that uh, Ed and I join in that prayer. We go over last minute things of the service, but invite others to come early and to pray. Break out some chairs in the uh, fellowship hall and just call on God and see what he would do. Not too many years ago, we saw the effects of, of God in prayer in another place where men committed themselves in the first 30 minutes of the service. They were back there praying uh, while the service was going on. And Jim, you were one of them. Remember that? You guys would pray and just ask God to meet us and to save sinners and, and, and sanctify the saints. Well, Psalm 88 is our focus, and I'm really surprised. I've, never, I've taught on this psalm because I've taught all 150 psalms. But uh, when, I, when I picked the themes that I wanted to hit at the beginning of the year, I felt that they were needful for us as a church to consider uh, one on prayer. When I thought about prayer, I did not connect until the Lord laid upon my heart not too many days ago, uh, Psalm 88. It's a surpriser to me. It's a difficult psalm. Uh, let's, uh, let's introduce it, shall we? The Lord invites us, and on your sheet I have the, to, He invites us to make prayer a large part of our lives, an increasing larger part of our lives. We're told by the Lord, all, we're told by Paul, always pray. Remember, pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5. We're told to be watchful and to be prayerful. The Lord said that. Uh, we're told by the Lord in Matthew 7, ask and seek and knock in prayer. And that, uh, Hebrews uh, 11, verse 6, don't you love that? Um, uh, without faith it's impossible to please God, for they that come to him must believe that he is. That means that he's almighty and all-powerful and really there and personal and he hears, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's a great verse for prayer. You know, I like that. You like to get a reward? You ever find something lost, turn in and get a reward? Someone give you, you know, $5. You turned in, you know, $300 you found on the sidewalk. Right, I, I remember that. Finally, I turned, I turned in something one time, and the, he, was, he, he didn't give me much, but he, uh, yeah, he, he made out okay. But I got a little reward on that. He's the rewarder. Jesus invites us uh, in our Bible to bring our concerns, our disappointments, our fears and doubts and regrets to him. And, and the question is, what, will you, uh, what will, will you develop prayer in your life? Will you develop your prayer life in the year 2012? Will you do that? Maybe you say, well, it's firing on all cylinders. Well, thank you for that. I'm really thankful for that. For, for some of you, that's really true, and you're trying to do some... But some, most of us, my sense is, is that we've, we feel guilty about it, and, well, I'll do that someday, you know. It's like the honeydew list, pretty that far down. But if we don't do it this year, when will we do it? We have no guarantee of tomorrow. And if it's so important to come before the face of the Lord Jesus and to get on our knees and to develop that habit, shut the door and talk to your heavenly Father. Uh, I'll tell you that, and you just fellowship with the Lord, enjoy Him. You, you, know, you, know, you know as well as I do, Acts, you adore A-C-T-S, you adore Him, you celebrate Father, Son, Holy Spirit, adore the wonder of life, His greatness, His goodness, C-A-C-T-S, C, confession, 
Lord, examine my heart. I'll wretched man that I am, wretched of the earth. I don't know how you can stand me if you know my thoughts. And he does. He knows everything. He knows what we think. He knows our motives. Sometimes they're often twisted. Jeremiah said, we don't even know our own. Examine. Let the, let the Lord search your heart as you shut the door. Get alone and get on your knees and just begin to develop like a toddler, some of you, and like some of you, others more than that as you cry out to God in confession. And then Thanksgiving, A-C-T, Acts, T, Thanksgiving, and begin to give the thank you, the Gomer Pyle list. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You become an ingrate if you don't. You just think, well, I just sort of, I deserve it. <laughs> don't ask for what you deserve. Lord, thank you. And begin to think of all the things that God has blessed you. And give thanks. Read the Psalms. Open your Bible on your knees. Read Psalm 105. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon us. And then begin to name them. And go through that. So thanks. And then S, A-C-T-S. S is supplication. It means that you bear one another's burden. You pray for your family by name and everything there that may be going on. You pray for your pastor and wife. Oh, we need that. Oh, Lord, help him. Just something like that. Now you know what to pray. The Lord can fill in the blank. And then then we pray for uh, our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, those that we work with. We pray for burdens. We're praying praying for Joni's sister, Barbara, who uh, just found out she has a terrible cancer. And and, and tomorrow morning when I pray for Roger and Joni, I'll be praying, Lord, remember Barbara Snyder. We pray for her. And we do that. You see how you do it? And we share the prayer requests. And Eliza, that'll be on my I Write that down when, when we share. And then others of you will mention, and we pray as we think about each one. Some of you have need of work and, or greater employment. Some of you hate your job, want something else. And, and as it trickles in and I hear about it, and as, other, as we pray, God will work. And as we pray for a church, that, that God would touch the world through grace. I mean, little as much when God is in it. Have you noticed? We're not, we're not huge. We're not like that church in Houston, right? Down at, the, uh, down at the arena center. Little is much when God is in it. Ever seen David and Goliath? The boy David, look what God did. Gideon's 300. I pray, Lord, I'll take 300. <laughs> Little is much. And God says, wait a minute, I'm, I'm still pruning. I'm working. I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready. I've, I've given you the land last year. We're working. We're doing things here behind the scenes. Little do you know what I'm up to. I go like, that's for sure. <laughs> and it's true in your life. It is. It's true. And so ACTS, we're praying for each other and asking that the grace and presence of Jesus be seen in us. It'll change your life. And if you make the discipline to get up early and spend any 20 minutes, read your Bible, it'll change your life. I mean it. I promise you. You wouldn't want to know me if I hadn't spent all that time with the Lord. What a wretched guy he is, he'd say. Look at And it's the grace of God that continues to grow. And faith wants you to keep praying that I keep growing. Because she's got to live close to me every single day and need the grace of God. And so do you. And that's where God visits us. To be little with God is to be little for God. Ian Bowne said that. That's right. And so we want to do that, want to urge that. Well, there are times, let's go back to our sheet, there are times uh, when life does not seem to be working. Have you ever had a time like that? Holy smokes, a lot of time, right? Doesn't seem to be going. I didn't sign up for this. 
Holy macaroni, I didn't know I was going to get, oh, oh, the telephone call, the boss says something, something at home and family, oh, man. And, it, and we pray and it feels like our prayers don't get off the ground. There must be, a, it must be an iron ceiling. I pray, but they don't say bounce off the ceiling and come down. There are hard days. I've had days like that. I've, I, I pray they hurry up and get over, don't you? I don't like days like that. I don't like periods of time. I'm, I'm a sprinter. I can go 50 yards. I can run with the best of them, 50 yards, even with a hip and a redo hip, right? I'm not going to do a marathon. I, chronic, long-term, long distance. Isn't that true? Most of us can sort of suck it up for the short. And when the days are hard and they go on and seeming unending, oh, God, oh, Lord. Have you read the book of Job lately? Good one to read. He, did, he was clueless as to what God was up. God's bragging on Job. And it was unrelenting. He lost everything. His wealth, his kids. He lost his wife's support. Curse God and die. He was clueless. Lost support of his friends. He stunk. I mean, he had, his body was covered with boils. He didn't know he was the focal point of a titanic battle in the heavens. God was showing that a man will still honor and serve him despite what God does or doesn't do in his life. Do you serve God only because he, he's good to you? What kind of cheap love is that? He pats me on the head and, and fills my bank account and makes me happy, and that's why I serve Jesus. Oh, really? That wasn't Job. He took it all away. And to the grace of God in his life alone, he continued on. Now, he had a little bit of a case of the gripes, and he repents of that when you get to the end. But God blessed him, favored him, didn't have to, but proffered him, gave him twice the wealth he had before, gave him as many children as he had before, and gave him twice the number of years to live. Even that, amazing. Some days are hard. The old writers, the Puritans and others, referred to the hard days of life as the dark night of the soul. That's a great, great phrase referring to the hard times of days, meaning that it feels like God has abandoned us. We call to him, but he, we get no answer. We feel despair, fear, gloom, depression. It is an intense spiritual anguish of the soul, this night of the soul days. Psalm 88 it has been called the saddest psalm in the Psalter. I like it because it sort of rolls off. Psalm 88, you can write that under. You know, I kind of title with a theme each psalm. It helps me remember their content. Uh, psalm 88, the 88 is the saddest psalm in the Psalter. Now the psalms are 150, it's the Hebrew hymn book. They would sing these for worship. And this is the saddest one. I mean, you can think of some in the collection, they're filled with praise, right? Praise, thanksgiving, joy. There's some with contrition, you know. There's the royal psalm, the messianic psalm, the creation psalms. You know, we, we, we heard some of them this morning. The heavens declare the glory of God. That's Psalm 19. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That's Psalm 24.1. This psalm is like a dirge, a funeral song 
It's a minor key type psalm. That's why I'm surprised God laid this upon my heart to preach when I wanted to make an emphasis to our church family in January uh, on prayer. It's a song that is a prayer for sure, but it is like one wail of sorrow from beginning to end. It, it, as, uh, as, uh, as true to life at times, uh, and that is that life can be very dark, and even at such times, we are invited to come and to cast our every care upon him, for he cares for us. That wonderful 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. This is the dark night of the soul, and the Bible would call us, keep casting, keep casting, keep giving. You might call it night fishing. So you, ever, you ever go fishing at night? What kind of fish do they catch at night? They catch what? The uh, catfish. That's a catfish. Have you ever had channel cat? Anybody channel cat? It is incredible. I mean, it sounds terrible, right? But it is thick white meat. Remember that there we had that? Uh, a friend had a uh, farm in Indiana, and it was a cold winter, and the whole pond froze and killed all the fish. And so they were on ice, so we got some of those, and, and they, they were huge, and I couldn't believe how good they were. And he told me, he said, what happens is, is you go out at night with the night crawlers and you bot, bottom fish, right? Off the bottom? Yeah. Look at Mark, because he's an old fisherman. Uh, but uh, uh, night fishing, that's not a bad way to think of this. That's what he's doing. It's a psalm that is a prayer, and it's during one of the darkest nights of the soul, and the Word of God said, keep casting. Keep ca fishing, keep casting, keep casting. Down where our kids uh, live in Georgia at St. Simon, you go out on the pier, and it's the second uh, biggest breeding ground for shark. Imagine that when you go out to the beach. Hey, hey last one in, you know. <laughs> it is. It's, the, it's uh, uh, the, the Great Barrier Reef, they say, is the number one. In that area right around uh, Jekyll Island and St. Simon, that were in dense way there on the coastline is they come in and they, the sharks are everywhere. And they go out at night. And I'm talking serious fishermen. Right there, they walk out. They walk out on that pier with wheels on their ice chest. And they're serious. You, you, you get near them and uh, uh, they don't like to talk because they're, and they're there all night. Night casting, fishing, pulling in sharks about yay big, that kind of thing. Wow, I saw some of that. Night fishing, not a bad way to think about uh, this psalm. Uh, but there's great comfort uh, to be found here. I pray that we may find comfort in the psalm as we endure a similar day. For God welcomes us to come out of the shadows and to honestly express our struggles as this psalmist does. His name is Haman. We know from the title of the psalm. And when we do so, we'll find that God already knows the things that we're facing and uh, that he understands. You know, sometimes it's just important enough for us to know when we go through difficult times that there is one that understands, that there's one that knows. A lot of people that are lonely, that stumble in sadness and darkness and even depression and have no idea that anyone even cares or that anyone even knows. But this psalm shouts to us that there is one in heaven that really knows. Well, there are two considerations of the saddest psalm moving us to pray. And the point is, especially when the heavens are silent. 
I think the reason the Lord put this on my heart is, is that when it's sunny out and warm, and don't we love those days, right? And days of uh, ease and everything sort of Frank Sinatra going my way. Easy to pray. Yeah, let's pray. It's time for dinner. Yeah, let's pray for this. Lord, bless my kids and help me get on the dean's list again and all this and all, blah, 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 right? And then a lot of life is sort of in between. And then there are these, these days, the dark days of the soul. And God includes in his Hebrew hymn book the saddest psalm in the Psalter that is a prayer. And the very fact that this prayer is in there in such a bleak chapter in Haman's life, the Ezraite, one of the sons of Korah, reminds us that we are to pray even when it feels like God has abandoned us. And I'm going to kind of jump to Christ because I want to show you him here. I mean, we do this only because he was ultimately and finally abandoned at the cross. I mean, we may have degrees of it, but we're never abandoned, ever. We may feel like we're all alone and nobody knows. And God isn't even listening. And it's not true. But there was one that it was true. He lived the life that we should have lived, but we didn't. And he died the death that we should have died, for the wages of sin is death. And he hung on that cross. And he was abandoned. God abandoned by God. Who can understand that, Luther said. But he was abandoned for you and for me. He died in our place. And his words, quoting Psalm 22:1, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And heaven was silent. And darkness was shrouded over the face of the earth as the Father. He had never experienced the separation from his Father forever in eternity past. He was abandoned, and here's the reason, so that you and I might never be. And even our writer of the psalm here, though he felt abandoned, and though we have times where we pray, we may be looking for work, and we go like, Lord, why don't you answer prayer? It seems so easy for others, and I can't. Or difficulties in my family, or in my marriage, or with my children, or my health, or, or all the issues of life, and it just seems like, Lord, where are you? Things happen in a church family, you go like, God, where are you? We go, I don't understand. I wish, and you know, the reality is, is uh, God could tell us what he'd say. I could tell you, but you just wouldn't get it. God works on so many levels. And then and sometimes we'll never know. The curtain drops on our life, and we go like, well, we never knew. But God has a plan that's all-encompassing. And all things work together for the good, and whether we see it or not. And a lot of times we don't see it. How about those martyrs in Hebrews 11, whom this world was not worthy? They got their heads cut off for Christ. And other things, they, didn't, they weren't saying, well, all things work together for good. Chop! And the, because you stand for Christ. They couldn't see it. They were hunted and persecuted. And sometimes, in lesser degrees, life feels like that for a believer. Think it not strange. He invites us to come, to share, and to cast our every care in those hard times. And here's the thing, to be honest with him. 
You're going to see this as we quickly read this psalm through honest with him in our prayer time during the chapters of deep darkness. Now, sometimes we think, oh, we've got to be real polite with God. Our Father who art in heaven, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my son. Uh, we pray like that. That's like children's prayers. I don't see our writer going to do that. He goes, hey, God, where are you? This doesn't seem right. He's, he's complaining to God. Yes, bring your burdens with utter transparency. You think God doesn't know? You think you're telling him something? Oh, I didn't know that. He knows it, and he wants you to get it out and share it. Lord, I don't like what's going on. I can't take it anymore. If you don't help me, I'm done. I'm dead. I'm gone. That transparency, isn't it great? that we can be utterly honest and transparent to Him. And that's real prayer. That's mature prayer. And not dance around the edges, you know. And never really say it like it is. You have to do that with a lot of people. Have you ever noticed that? Oh, if they only ever knew what I really thought. <laughs> Probably good they don't know what you thought. There was a day we grew up where I'm just being honest with you. You're ugly, you know, like... You're like, like that was a mark of, uh, oh, wow, that, hey, that's something. You're honest. That was the 60s. My brother said that a couple of times. I'm just telling you, I'm being honest with you. And we're like, I don't read that in the Bible. You know, like, let your words be seasoned with grace and this kind of But not when our hearts are ripped out in the dark night of the soul, come on our knees. Someone is sick. Someone is dying. I need a job. My son, my father, my neighbor, my country, my... God wants us to plead and cry out to him with utter transparency. This psalm clearly teaches that. God inspired it and included it in the collection, and it goes with the whole panorama of life. The joyful ones the thanksgiving ones, and here's one like a dirge. It's a prayer. It's a song. And one other thing by, uh, I want to mention. If you notice, look at the title. It's a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah, to the choir master according to, it's a, a masculine of Haman the Ezrahite. Haman the Ezrahite. He's a son of Korah. Korahites were the sons of Levi that, that were in charge of the equipment and led the procession to worship. The sons of Korah. They also wrote Psalm 42 and 43, uh, like a deer that pants for the streams of water. That was one of theirs. And so here's this psalm of the son of Korah, Haman, and it reminds us as they would sing these going to worship, that, th that this kind of honesty in song and in prayer during the dark times of life is to be a part of worship. Now that may, that may mess you up a little bit. You think, I have to sing a little song and say a little prayer and read a little Bible. God wants us to cast our every care upon Him. Our brokenness, disappointments. Have you had disappointments? I have. Do people ever let you down? I've had a few. Does life ever throw you a curveball? And God says, come. Come to me. I will fill you with satisfaction. I am your joy. Jesus invites us, urges us to come. 
and come to him. Look at, look at the psalm. It's, uh, it's dark. Let's read verse 1. O, o Lord, God of my salvation. Circle salvation there. It's the only positive word in the whole psalm. That's it. That's it. The lights are going out now. I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles. and My life draws near to Sheol. That's the grave. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. You overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions, that's his friends, to shun me. You have made me a whore to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Let me just stop here. Uh, he's not talking about the afterlife. He's talking about the appearance. When you go and see a dead corpse at a funeral, they usually don't sit up and praise God. And from an appearance point of view, humanly, he's exactly right. Don't think that somehow the psalmist didn't believe in eternal life and heaven and all of that. And this side of the cross and the empty tomb, we even know a whole lot more, don't we? Verse 11, is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, I cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up. That's a long time. I suffer your tears. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me altogether. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. And the curtain drops. And the curtain drops. Uh, some of you might recognize that last word. Darkness is the last word in the Hebrew, uh, in the Hebrew text. And in the uh, King James and the other translation, uh, that phrase, uh, uh, darkness is my friend, Simon and Garfunkel lifted that off in the sounds of silence. How many of you know of sounds of silence? Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again because a vision softly creeping in left its seed while I was sleeping and the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sounds of silence. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Well, there are two considerations in the psalm and I, I, I really, the first one, the psalmist itself unfolds uh, a prayer of one who is absolutely desperate. You could tell by that. Especially during the hard days 
and call us to pray when it's hard and when we feel abandoned and when it feels like God is not even listening. For what? For the reality of the, the byline under the prop is, for the Lord is always with us. He always hears us. And if you need a reference, it's like the sun. The sun is always there in the sky. The sun. Do you know the sun I just read is 9,900 degrees at the surface? That's pretty hot. 9,900 degrees Fahrenheit at the surface, and I can't remember exactly what the core is, and I can't imagine the guy that went there to actually measure it was like 25 million degrees Fahrenheit. You know, do you ever hear about the astronauts that were going to visit the sun? That's right, they were going to go at night. <laughs> the sun is always there, always there. Our God is always there. I'll never leave you nor forsake. But sometimes the clouds sort of get in the way, don't they? The clouds cover the sun. The sun does, it's not dimming, although it feels it. It's still pumping those eight minute, those rays are coming here. And I'm glad for that, aren't you? Always there. The sun is always there, even though it may be blocked. And circumstances in life are like the clouds. We go like, Lord, where are you? I've been here all the time. I've never left you. If the Lord ever left us, we'd be in real trouble. Well, the psalmist is desperate. Now, A, the psalm does not lend itself to outlining as it moves from dark to almost pitch dark. It's, a, it's an emotional psalm. Yeah, it's musical anyway. You, know, like, you ever notice that uh, women tend, tend to be, and I'm going to get in trouble here, but they tend to be more emotional than men. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes. And men tend to be a little more logical. And, and you know, I heard the, uh, the older woman said she'd been married 60 years and she was having a disagreement with her husband. And she had through her tears, she said, and emotions count too. <laughs> you know, like, this is one big bucket of emotion. And so we're going to, if we try and go at it, guys, with our left brain, the logical, right? We're going to like die. You can't do it. It's like waves of emotion, just the way the Spirit wrote this through Haman. And so I'm sort of at a loss because I'm always looking to unfold the thing to see how it says, but you're better off in this case not just take it as it is. It's encouraging to know that the Bible addresses the world as we know it. I love that about the Bible. It's not some fake world, but it's a real world and deals with real problems and real sin and even sinfulness among godly men and women. I mean, the first boy ever born killed his brother. It's no wonder we're in a heap of trouble. I mean, if that's the way we start, I mean, is there any hope apart from God's intervention? And then you've got rape and incest and murder and bludgeoning. And just it goes, it's like, it's, it's real life. I remember when God began to get my attention in the Word. And a senior, I'd never read it all the way through. I was a senior in high school. I, I was devouring the Scriptures. And I'd carry it with me to school. And I, I'd do my trigonometry. And, that's, and then I'd be like, got to get through that. I've got to read more of the Word. And I'd be crossing out when I've been going through the different books. And I'd say, have you ever read the Bible? I can't believe what's in there. It's real life. There are no rose-colored glasses here. And I love that. That makes it trustworthy. If it was some sort of hyper-history, kind of like, you know, they're dancing on clouds or some sort of figment of someone's own, you go like, that's a piece of trash. This thing presents life 
with 2020 clarity. It's, and it gives me encouragement. It's not some fake world. And God, number two, God gives hope and help to us, and he knows what we're going through. He knows it all. And there's only one word of hope in the psalm. I already told you, verse 1, and the word salvation or Savior or saved in some of the translations that you may have. No believer, it reminds us then, is utterly hopeless. In the middle of this dark night of the song, uh, this prayer, the word here, the one word, salvation, it does, it points to us. If you're a believer in Christ, the, the reality is you are never utterly hopeless. Utterly meaning zero. It doesn't matter how bad it is or how bad it feels. There is one glimmer of light because of Christ our Lord. And that word shouts that to me here as I look at that. You are never without hope. Never. Wow. Uh, though the Bible begins with God, the last word is darkness. If uh, this were like similar psalms, and there are other psalms, like 142, Psalm 142 is the caveman psalm. David wrote it, and uh, that's pretty depressing, not as, but uh, there are a couple of others like that, that uh, he pours out his heart, it's terrible, but then it comes to the end and there's resolution. Ah, but I shall see the Lord in the land of the living. Ah, now I see what God's doing, something like that. Nothing here. It's just the curtain drops. You go like, I want my money back. That's not what I was, you know, Jim Boyce was musing one day with a friend, why isn't there more Christian fiction? Why isn't there more, he was an English major at Harvard and, uh, and, and so on, and uh, so reading is a big thing to him as he went on to his studies and the pastor, and uh, he suggested the reason was is that uh, Christians um, have to have in their literature, and they live happily ever after. And, you know, we lie to our kids that way, don't we? And where's the end, Daddy? And they live happily ever after. You know, that's not life. Sometimes it's lions one, Christians nothing. And that's not soccer, and that'd be a funny football game, one to nothing. But anyway, you know what I mean. And, and he mused on the fact that uh, because Christians are so bent on it, everything's got to end well. Think about a movie, right? A movie is simply a story, a visual uh, think about a movie that ends horrible and everybody gets bludgeoned and died and all that. And you stand and like, wow, that was a great movie. I don't think so. We don't have the stomach for it. Somebody said in the Asian, in the Orient, the Japanese in particular, they'll end on minor keynotes like that. You know, we're always looking for a moral. What's the moral of the story? The reality is we may not be able to see the moral of what happened and the good that God is doing, but there is good and God's doing it. And we may not see it. In the Japanese culture, I'm told, is they're okay ending on a, on a minor note. The, the hero gets killed and everybody else, and the bad guy wins. And we go like, that was the worst movie I ever saw. I want my money back, right? That's just the way, that's just the way we're wired in the West with kind of a post-Christian romantic view of, aren't we all supposed to be happy? You know, if you've traveled very far in the world, you know that's not the way it is. It's not the way it is. And I think Boyce is right by that. And this ends in darkness. Wow, no resolution. Well, one man writes, it's good we have a psalm like this, but it's also good that we only have one. 
<laughs> I think he's right. It reminds us that life is filled with trouble, even to the point of despair, for life does not always have happy ending. God does not owe us here happiness ever after. It reminds us that life is filled with trouble. This kind of honesty and prayer before God is meant to be a part of our worship. Lord, I'm in a hard place. Well, notice some of the expressions, and that's all we're going to do by Haman in his wretched circumstances. Number one, day and night, verse one. I mean, this was unrelenting without an answer, even from his youth. I mean, Jesus told us in, in Luke 18, I have on your sheet, that in spite of God's seemingly indifferences, you know, the unjust judge and the widow that kept going to him and wearing him down, Jesus said, look, in contrast, God does hear our prayers and will act quickly. Our problem is, is God's timing is different from ours. Have you ever had that trouble? Lord, if I were God, I would have done it like yesterday. <laughs> and the Lord goes, thanks for that suggestion. You have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> you're a little pea brain down there. Nope, nope, you're smaller than that. You know, <laughs> It's true, though. I don't know if you ever thought about it like that, but uh, we often want to advise God on timing, but uh, we'd be better off just saying, Lord, you're in charge, and I'm not. Help me just get in line and do what I'm supposed to do, and you'll take care of business. Amen. That's it. Look at number two, shadow of death, verses three to five. The death's dark shadow is staring him in the face. Feels like he's dying. It's dark. And what makes the darkness so dark here and the stanza so depressing is, is the way he writes it, it's that God himself has caused his pain. In verses uh, 3, 4, 5, and 6, look at how many times he refers in, uh, uh, in verse 6. You have put me in the depths. Verse 7, your wrath lies. You overwhelm me. You have caused. You have made me a whore uh, to them, and so on. Um, that, that makes it even worse. He, uh, he attributes all of his dire circumstances, brokenness to God. Now, it's true that God is uh, sovereign and in charge and up to things, and, and most of the time we're clueless as to what he's doing and why. But uh, he sees a direct relationship that he's the, uh, the primary cause of it. And he sinks in his depression as he weighs that thought. Similar to Job, the book of Job. Both Job and this writer had no idea why they were suffering. It's a reminder to us that we don't necessarily know what God is, was, is accomplishing by our suffering. We have no idea. Uh, sometimes we get a glimmer of an idea. But sometimes the curtain drops and the word darkness, and that's it. And God says, listen, walk by faith, trust me. Heaven is great. This is just the prelude. You have no idea what I'm doing and whose lives I'm touching and people that are watching. I think of Joni Erickson Tata. What a blessed, sweet woman she is, isn't she? What a terrible thing when she, as a young girl, had that diving accident and uh, broke her back and became a quadriplegic. Remember that? All these years now, Johnny and friends, her ministry has touched so many people. I can't tell you the times I'll be driving a car, just hear her Joni and friends on the radio, and she's talking about this or that with a, her voice is angelic. 
And you can't imagine what she lives with and suffering just every single day. She just came off stage two or three cancer. She had breast cancer. You're like, how much more can this lady take? Lord, and she's probably in her 60s now. Lord, take her. But we're glad she's here. She's like a refined gem. It's such a blessing, her writing, and she paints with her teeth. Ever seen her Christmas cards? You'd have to kill me. I couldn't do anything like that with two hands and two feet. She does that with her teeth and raises money and paints. And her words and ministry to those that are disabled and have physical strength. What a... She is refined gold. Little did she realize what God was up to and doing, and, and the millions, I dare say millions of lives that her life is... Would we even know her if she didn't have that diving accident? I dare say probably not. And how many of those? In great ways and small. You go like, God, why, I, why wouldn't you protect me from having a diving accident? John, you have, Johnny, you have no idea what I'm up to. And, and she didn't. And God continues to work. He continues to work. You see, that's just a little example of that. Number three, hide your face from me. Verse 14, that is God's silent. He hid his face. One reason he feels so close to death is that God is not speaking to him now. Jesus in Matthew 4, 4 said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And it is no surprise that we feel nearly dead when God is silent then, if we're dependent on every word that comes from God. And yet we sense uh, those feelings of abandonment when we don't sense him or feel him or uh, there doesn't seem to be any answer to prayer in our life and just keeps going on day after day after day. And number four, afflicted. That's a lifetime of sorrows. Verse 15, lost his friends all alone. Hello, darkness, my old friend. No resolution, darkness. The song ends. The curtain drops. And ultimately and finally of Jesus, whose friends scattered him. And he walked that path alone to Calvary for you and for me. Well, what's the second consideration? There are simply some life lessons that I, there are many of them, but these stood out to me when I thought of uh, uh, the wonder of this prayer, this, this psalm. And uh, the first one, A, develop your prayer life so that no matter what your circumstances you have formed the daily habit of casting your every care upon him. What can we say by this? This is a psalm that is a prayer. It is a prayer that uh, there are no spiritual masks. I mean, it is the raw reality, and he's simply bearing his heart, casting his every care on the Lord. And I'm saying to you that when life hits, you've got to have built that foundation of a prayer life. If not, now when? This week, today, learn the practice. Get alone. They used to say a prayer closet. Get a little prayer book and write down specific measurable requests. Use a hymn book. Sing this, the Lord a song in that. Take your little Bible in and, 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 and read the psalm. Read a psalm and then, and then pray back to the Lord that psalm and say, Lord, develop me in this whole thing called having a, a prayer life. I mean, it's a ministry of prayer. That's what moves the heart and the hand and the power of God. I want to be a part of that. I pray that that would be true to, to uh, 
to each one that's here, to you and to me, in increasing ways in the year 2012. Uh, number, letter B, come to him just as you are. Sounds like Billy Graham's great song, Just As I Am Without Plea. And it's a call for salvation. You come just as you are to be saved. Well, this is in a different venue. Come as you are with all your brokenness and transparency and honesty to the Lord and pour your heart out to him. Come honestly and express your deepest feelings and thoughts. If you do that, you'll be just like the psalmist, Haman. He didn't hold back, and you shouldn't either. I can remember times of great tears, uh, things that happened in the lives of people and the lives of my own family, and uh, I need to get alone and talk to the Lord about this. And a lot of tears. And a lot of times I couldn't pray, open Bible and on my knees, and, and the words just didn't come. And we're thankful for Romans 8, 26, where the Spirit of God prays for us with groanings and utterings that can't be uttered. He prays on our behalf. He kind of takes that tongue-tied, emotionally tied up, broken uh, uh, Zabolski, and the Spirit of God says, Lord Jesus, I'm going to pray for him. I, I know what it is that's on his heart. He prays for us. That's, that's what that means. And look at how often Jesus prayed. And if the Son of God made time to get up early and pray, and made prayer a substantial part of his life, how much more should we? Oh, I encourage you to, to ask the Lord to help you develop faithfulness and discipline in your prayer life. So this will be the greatest year. It may be the single thing that changes the whole year for you. I'm, I'm certain it will. I'll make this commitment to you. If you do this, and, and, it, and that's not so, I want you to come back to a year from now and tell me. I'm not going to double back your refund or something like that. But I want you to mark that down. And you come back. I did what you suggested. I did that. And I'm sorry I wasted the time. I could have been better off getting more beauty sleep. Certainly you probably needed it. Or I've done something else. None of you will do that. I know that this is a very important spiritual ingredient in the life of a church, and in your life individually as a Christian. Come to him just as you are, come and pray. Number three, C, know that sometimes it doesn't seem, life does not seem to work out for us. Don't be surprised by that. Don't be surprised. He had no idea he was clueless here at this point in his life. We don't know that he ever knew. But how about this? How about this? We do know that his life had value, and we know that it had substance and purpose. Do we not? How do we know at least that much? God included all that experience and his writing of this in the book of books. Alongside of joyful songs and songs of gratitude and songs of contrition, there is the song of the deep night of the soul when it seemed like God had forgotten. And God said, I'm going to take him through that. And at least in part, that's going to be part of the collection of people's Bibles forever. And so it did have that purpose. And we can see that much. Psalm 88 is an invitation to, uh, to a kind of honesty. It calls us to an open and authentic faith in the face of chronic sickness, 
the burden of wealth, the rejection of friends, trauma and abuse, the loss of a job, the temptation of success, a child's rebellion, a loved one's death, a church split, perverted justice, the cloud of depression, and a host of other things that are just part of life. God is saying to us, through Jesus, don't hesitate to come to me because your heart is weak and your mind is confused. Don't hesitate to come to me because you have questioned my goodness and my love. Come, come to me and lay that at my feet. Look at D, realize afresh that Jesus endured all of this and more while he suffered and died in our place. He endured the silence of his Father so that we might never be forsaken. There was a day I was standing in, in Jerusalem and I was at the traditional site of Pilate's house, a somber place. And uh, there's a dungeon hole down below where the Lord would have been lowered through a hole in the floor and, uh, and we, would, we would gather down there in the crowds of people, the pilgrims, and we would there read Scripture and pray, maybe sing a song. And while I was there, there was an old, I think it was an Eastern uh, church cleric. You could tell by his dress and demeanor, old, uh, kind of a thorny type guy, <laughs> big beard. And he saw that I was the pastor leader of our group, and he uh, admonished me to turn to Psalm 88 and read it, for it was written of Jesus in this place when he was scourged and whipped and, and suffered so as he would soon make within hours his way to the cross. I often thought about that. Psalm 88, the most saddest psalm in the Psalter, and yet it points of that dark hour in the life of Jesus. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It is the Jesus psalm. Maybe you would call it that rather than the Job song. And I think you would be right in that. And E, at, uh, at hard times, be like this writer who didn't give up. But he finished the song. Don't quit. Don't quit. Rather go all the way, clinging to the Lord Jesus, praying to him, even to the end. Go all the way. And if it, you should be your life like uh, Hebrews 11, where uh, the world was not worthy of you, let it be said of you throughout eternity that you clung on to Jesus all the way, trusting in Him. And if He should take your life or it should go in ways that you never thought, may you be wholly His, and He will work His purposes through you. And someday, and someday you'll say, Lord, what was it that you were doing? Why did I suffer that bucket of tears? Why did I suffer such pain? Why? It wasn't the way I thought. He said, oh, sit down. You uh, can't imagine all that your life and all that I was doing in that generation and those around and the generations that come. And he begins to show us the panorama of the things that God has in store according to his own counsel and plan and purposes. And so go all the way. Don't cut it short. Even if the Lord should say, that's it. And there have been saints that have died for Christ. F, even though there are no words of encouragement in the psalm, and there are none, there's no rejoice in the Lord, there's no anything. 
It is. It does give me encouragement and should for the saints, for they provide an accurate depiction of the things we face. I mean, it is a real picture of times in our life. And in that, not that misery loves company, but that there's one who understands. It might be where you are right now. You go like, wow, I didn't know this kind of stuff was in the Bible. Wow. Gee, the promise of a Redeemer, the Lord Jesus, come to people who live in such a world where such things take place. It's a broken world, and it's in our world that Jesus came. And an H and last, going to the Lord with my despair and prayer, my doubts, my fear, is an act of faith. It's an act of trust. And so the 88, Psalm 88, reminds us to run to Him in our desperate times. Run to Him, not away from Him. Run to Him and you'll find comfort and wisdom and strength that cannot be found anywhere else. Wow, what a prayer. What a song. As they led their way to worship, to pour out their hearts. To pour out their hearts to Him. Shall we pray? Father, thank You so much for this psalm and and we thank you, Lord, that you've included in the collection of the Word of God. And I thank you, Lord, that it resonates with great hope as we walk through times of grief and sorrow, times of confusion and loss and pain. And if we're not there right now, typically it's probably around the corner just a bit. And for our friends and loved ones and those here, we pray for your strength and encouragement as they walk through the valley of the shadow of death and such chapter now, encourage. And remind us, Lord, that we need to grow and develop in our time spent with you, our prayer time. Lord, I ask that, that Jesus would be lifted up in our life and that we, as a church, would make prayer a center focus, that we would give and plan seasons of prayer, that we would encourage individuals, each precious one here, to grow in their one-on-one -on -one time on their knees before the Lord. We pray for that. Give us a vision. Give us the love of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to, to take the gospel with us wherever we go and to be a blessing to all that we should be. And forgive those that hurt us and use us and would despise us. To forgive even as we've been forgiven of everything. We make us that kind of church family, Lord. And give us a vision for people that know not Jesus, that we share the precious gospel, the treasure of life with them, and we ask that you would save them. Thank you so much. We love you so in Christ's name. Amen.